Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we want to turn uh, to start out with, anyhow, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I told you last week, and really have kept it before you through our whole time in 2 Corinthians, we're really trying to build a team of men and women who really will grasp the principles of dealing with people uh, in the issues of their lives and helping them apply the principles. And of course, we know that that starts with us. But last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with what I really consider the downside of ministry, and that is understanding and talking about why people that come to church, this church, or really any church, only come for a short while and then fall by the wayside and don't, uh, and don't make it. And last week, we saw the great principle of how Satan blinds us to the gospel. And uh, these are things that you really need to know and understand, not only for your own life, but for uh, in dealing with people. Uh, we saw a number of things that kind of broke this down. We saw a great study on the great lights in the Bible. There's two of them. God is the light. He's the true light. And then the Bible says that Satan is a false light. We studied the difference between light and darkness. And we saw how John chapter 1 verse 5 said how the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. We saw in Genesis where the light was called day and the darkness was called night. And we know now that that's not talking about the first day or night in the Bible. That's talking about the two personalities, God who is light and the devil who is darkness. But then I showed you, and we took the time, and this is probably a real key thing, and it's a in great study in the Bible, how that even though the devil is darkness, the Bible says that he transforms himself into an angel of light. And that darkness uh, is a false light, is a false darkness that uh, it blinds people to the gospel. And we saw how that uh, this false light will blind men and women to the truth. And he does it two ways. The first way we saw was through the world system. We've all met people in our lives, no matter where we're at, that, uh, that think that uh, the world is better than Christianity. And we find that in saved people's lives, and we find it in unsaved people's lives. There's many saved people out there that are probably going to go to heaven because they're truly born again, but they've fallen by the, uh, along the side, and now they really think that the world is better. It's one of the things, and I preached on this last week, it's one of the things that destroys people. The second one was religion. You know, religion is something the devil uses, and uh, the Bible talks about spiritual wickedness in high places. The great example of that is in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, where he takes the task, the scribes and the Pharisees. And we see there that Satan's main sphere is religion. He has the world system and he damns people and blinds them through that, but he doesn't miss anything and he also uses religion. And um, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. We, uh, we saw that also that there's two aspects to the gospel, and this is very important. And this is where he blinds men. We saw the first place was the gospel, the gospel received. And that's your salvation. <clears throat> that's the day that you trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Now, we believe here and teach here what the Bible teaches, that, you know, joining a church won't save you. There's many religions out there, false religions, that think that if you just join a church, that'll get you to heaven. You see, in our little, our little, uh, we're talking about baptism, and I talked about how that so many of our kids here have, are going to get baptized. And that's because they have come to the point in their life where they've trusted Christ as their own personal Savior. They got to be eight or nine years old, ten years old, and they saw how that thing works. 
and, and we don't believe that baptism saves you. Baptism just gets you wet. But there's many churches out there that actually teach that if you go forward and get baptized, no matter where, a baby or a young child or even an adult, that that kind of washes away your sin. Hey, there's only one thing that washes away your sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, you see. Baptism isn't a form of salvation. Baptism, I always looked at baptism like a wedding ring. If you wear a wedding ring, it doesn't, it doesn't make you married. But it, it illustrates to everybody that you are married, and that's exactly what baptism does. It doesn't save you, but baptism is the public identification of what has taken place spiritually inside you. But the gospel received is salvation. And the devil, we saw how the devil blinds man to the truth of that salvation uh, by using the world system and religion. Uh, and then we talked about how that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Then the second aspect we looked at was the gospel fulfilled. And where the gospel received is for unsaved people, the gospel fulfilled is for saved people, you and me. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The devil will blind saved people just like he blinds unsaved people. Now, he blinds unsaved people from getting saved. He blinds saved people from doing anything with it after they get saved. And God's people blinded again by this false light. And we talked about all of that last week. And uh, you know, the same things that blind an, an unsaved man, the devil takes and uses and blinds a saved man. The world, religion, drugs, alcohol, pride, uh, self-righteousness, they'll be the same thing that mess up a saved person that will mess up an unsaved person. The only difference is that a saved person is headed to heaven and an unsaved person going to hell. And you remember I gave you the simplest format. The pro, the, 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 how profound this is is found in its simplicity. The two basic formats by which the devil operates. One, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you say, what do I mean by that? Ever had a time in your life where somebody opened up a Bible and showed you that you are a sinner, showed you that God died for you, and then showed you the Bible path process for you to become a Christian? If you've never done that, the devil's job is to keep you from ever doing that. And he'll blind you with the things of the world, the things of life, whatever. He'll blind you to that. And in that, he, he gets your soul in hell. But some of you, as myself, you, you got through that. And you actually trusted Christ as your own personal Savior. And now the devil's plan shifts. He knows now he can never get your soul in hell because if you're truly saved, you're God's child. But what he does know is this. Even though he cannot get you in hell, if he can blind you to the fulfillment of that gospel message... Even though you'll go to heaven, chances are your kids will wind up in hell, your friends will wind up in hell, and all of the people in your life. Hey, I've seen moms and dads who have gotten saved and then got fell back into this thing and never fulfilled the gospel. And they, the tragedy of tragedies in my mind would be for mom and dad to go to heaven and the children to be lost and go to the lake of fire simply because the parents never carried it any farther than receiving the gospel. And the devil's plan is twofold and it's very simple. If he can't get your, he wants to get your soul in hell. If he can't do that because you got saved, then he'll let you go to heaven, but get everybody else around that uh, you would have reached if you would have done what's right in fulfilling the gospel. It's just that simple. We saw the great principle of our body as an earthen vessel. And in that lies the great treasure, the light of God. 
And that light of God is in our, in our, in our hearts and it shines out in our face. And this is really what the ministry is. It's taking the light that God has given to you and given to somebody else. Now, that's what we talked about last week in kind of a, a collective way. Today, I want to read again for you what I, what I read last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 so we can establish a base here and then we're going to move out. And I'm going to show you another aspect of it today. But let's read again this passage. He says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, Father, we do thank you today. We thank you for those that are here. We pray, Father, that you'll take the time that we've set aside and give us what we need today. Uh, let the Word of God be true today. Let it be clear and let it touch the hearts of these, your people. And uh, Lord, there may be someone here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. There may be somebody here today that is saved, but they're confused on the whole thing. Uh, let us help them, Father. Let us do what the job of the church is, and that is to clarify and bring people out of the darkness into the light. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now today, before we leave this passage of why men reject the gospel in both formats, the gospel, you know, uh, received and the gospel fulfilled. Uh, and while uh, I will talk about, again, like we said last week, why you and I in dealing with people will spend enormous amounts of time with people who will simply at some point turn around and go back to the world and drop everything that they've gotten up to that point. That's one of the great enigmas in Christianity. It's one of the great mysteries that most pastors and most people who work with people struggle with. But yet the Bible's very clear. Let me tell you something. The God doesn't want you just to get in there and then work with people and have people rejected and walk away with you not understanding why that is. I think it's vitally important that you and I realize why that is. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because most of the people you're going to deal with in the day and age that we live in uh, you're going to see it today. They're simply not going to do what God wants them to do. And today I want to talk to you about looking at that on the inside. One of my favorite movies that I grew up with was The Wizard of Oz. And I love The Wizard of Oz uh, simply because of the fact that The Wizard of Oz is a great movie. Made all the way back in the 1930s. And uh, it's a story about, believe it or not, Kansas. And you know how Dorothy uh, lived on a farm in Kansas, and she gets taken up in a, in a tornado and transformed, placed into this place, which is, you know, an incredible uh, place. And it's, 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 she's trying to get back. And yet, I see so many parallels to the Bible in that story. Because you have the good fairy, got to be careful with that word today, and then you have the bad fairy. In other words, you have a system of light versus darkness. And you have, she wants to get back to where she's from, and the only way she can get back to everything is on a yellow brick road. In other words, every time she's straight off that yellow brick road, she got into trouble. 
And there was opposition along that because the wicked, I mean, the, the good fairy wanted to help her get there. But the bad fairy wanted to keep her from getting there. And the bad fairy, if you remember the story, had her own little guys. You know, the oh, 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 you know. And the whole thing is a picture of, you know, God and the light versus darkness with the demonic forces there. And then you have the wizard. And uh, everybody was off to see the wizard. And it was an amazing story. And the thing about it, and I don't know if you know that, you know that in that movie, a guy, a guy who was one of the Munchkin guys or somebody actually hung himself in that movie. And if you watch the right scene, you can see him jump off the thing and hang himself on the scene behind the scene. It's incredible. You get, it's worth seeing it to look for that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I don't mean that. I'm sorry the guy died, but it's a true story. I'm like, give me a break. I mean, if, if you like movie trivia, there it is, you know. Go find a guy that hung himself in The Wizard of Oz. But the p- best part of it for me is when she goes to that Emerald City, like the New Jerusalem, and all this fire and everything, and she goes before this great wizard. Now, what happens is, and you might know, Toto's the one who breaks the story, you know, but they're all in awe of this, you know, and she's got the tin man, the wolf man, and the, you know, or whatever he was, and the, and the lion guy, and they're all out there, you know, and, and they're all there in great care, this fire-breathing smoke of all this stuff that's going on around them, and then little Toto goes over and pulls back the curtain, and behind the curtain is uh, a man, just a normal man, pulling all the levers and doing all the things and flipping all the switches that is given the illusion that all this stuff is happening. And I'm telling you something, life is a lot like that. And what I do with the Bible and what the Bible does for you, it pulls back the curtain and lets you see that everything that's out there that makes you afraid, everything that's out there that intimidates you, when the Bible does is pull back that curtain and show you what's really going on. Now that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to pull back the curtain. Last week, I talked about it on the outside looking in. Now I'm going to talk about the inside looking out. I'm going to, I'm going to take you on the inside to one of the probably the greatest passages in the Bible. And I want to show you from the, uh, from the inside looking out. I want to take you behind that veil, behind that curtain. And I want you to see how this thing really works. And if you're going to work with people, or maybe you're struggling today, this message will be for you. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Now, I don't know what you know about the Bible, but Matthew chapter 13 starts the great parables in the Bible. Most people don't understand about the parables. A lot of preachers today teach you that the parables are, you know, really just have general truth in them, that you're, they're kind of a mystery thing, that you really can't get any stuff out of it. That's not true. The parables teach an exact, infallible truth that impacts every past of our life in the format, doctorally, inspirationally, and historically. If you look at Matthew chapter 13 and know anything about the book of Matthew at all, you'd know now that up to chapter 12, the nation of Israel makes their final rejection. Christ has come. He's identified himself. He's proven to him that the nation of Israel who he is. Now, at this point... At this point, in chapter 12, Israel makes its rejection of the Messiah. And immediately at that point, from 13 on, <clears throat> the message of the kingdom up to this point has been very, forth, very clear and very forthright. Now it goes into a mystery called the parables. 
So because people don't understand how the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John lay itself out, they get caught up into this, and now they think that, oh, there's some great... No, no, no. Using the keys of the Bible, you'll see it today. The book of the parables of the parables, and there's 12 of them in, in the Gospels, uh, one for each tribe and a nation of Israel, you're going to find that they're the most incredible, direct, doctrinal material that you need, not only to understand God dealing with Israel in a future tense, but God dealing with Israel in a historical sense, but then God in you and my life as a practical sense. Never forget the parallels between the nation of Israel and us as Christians. And I know that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament that separate the two, but the parallels, the spiritual applications are quite incredible. Now, within this story, and I'm going to read it here for you in a moment, you're going to find four types of people. Four types of people. Now, to me, putting this in a Bible counseling format, I'm going to give you four case studies today. I'm going to give you four people that represent four case studies of why people from the inside looking out reject the gospel and reject the fulfillment of the gospel. One of the most incredible things that you're ever going to get into. And uh, every person you're going to ever sit down with, every person that you're going to begin to open the Bible with and to help will be one of these four. And it's amazing insight uh, in, for you who desire to have uh, a work with people and, and do what God's called you to do in helping people through life's issues. Well, let's read it here, Matthew chapter 13. It says, the same day when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that uh, he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, there it is, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 9. I think verse 9 is probably the key to this whole thing. It says, who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Everybody got ears this morning? Amen. Then hear this. I found in my life in the Bible that there's only a couple of places where the Bible says that if you got ears, you better listen. And in every case I found out, there's a tremendous amount of information that will help you and spare you from some of the tragedies in life. One of them is here, and the other one is found in the Revelation where it talks about the churches. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Churches don't listen. God's people don't listen. So I admonish you this morning, before we even get into this, that if you've got a pair of ears and they're working today, then listen to what is being said today, and that, because this is very important. Now, this particular parable is found in three of the Gospels, and you want to make some notes of this. It's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, and it's found in Luke. And it details out for us the case study of four types of people. And to really see the impact of this and the full importance of it, we must really get all three accounts together. And a lot in itself is a great study of how you compare Scripture with Scripture to get the answer. 
Bible, uh, it's a great example of why people don't make it, but it's a great example also how that you and I learn things from the Bible by just not studying one place, but find the parallel passages and putting it all together and, uh, and then make the thing work for you. It's an incredible study. Now, let me jump ahead for a moment here. We read it now. Let me give you, let me give you, let me make it easy for you, and then we'll come back and put it all together. We're going to jump ahead here and get some, set the guidelines for this study. First of all, we have a sower. Bible said a man went forth to sow. Well, historically, that's Christ. Because historically, this passage is Christ going out to the nation of Israel and giving them the gospel. Gospel means good news. Inspirationally, that sower is me and you. Because that's what we do. That's my job as a, as a Christian. Notice I didn't say pastor. That's my job as a Christian, and it's your job as a Christian if you're saved this morning. You got ears to hear what I'm saying to you. Your job and my job is to be a sower. And uh, so we have a sower here, and that's you and me. Then we have the seed, and the seed is the Word of God. That's what we're to sow. And you and I are to go out. That's just the fulfillment of the gospel. Ah, then we have the ground. Well, that's man's heart, you see. The ground will be, that's talked about here, will be the heart of man. That the sower sows the seed. And then we have three or four different examples of how the man's heart receives that or doesn't receive that or receives it for a while and then doesn't receive it anymore. Great study. Great study. And then you have the fowls. And, of course, we'll learn here very quickly that the fowls are, are the devil himself or the unclean spirits, the fallen angels, however you want to do it, the demons, whatever you want to call them. We'll see that here in a moment. Now, these four keys are really the key to putting this together. And with these keys, let's see how this lays itself out, and I'll show you from the inside how the blindness works. I want, to, I want you to see more than just from the outside, well, it's religion of the world. Now I want to take you behind the veil. We want to strip it back, and we want to see the levers and the switches that are being pulled in men and women's lives so you understand how to do it. Now, I, I told you last week, you know, that you're all good people. And the people who, in, in our church, anyhow, I, I can't speak for anybody else's, I know that the people who want to do this and work with people, I know that basically, fundamentally, you're doing it for the right motive and the right reason. I know that. I, I don't think, and I may be wrong in some cases, but if it is, it's a very minute number. I think that most of you who desire to do ministry are doing it because you really love God and what God has done for you. I believe that. Maybe I just blinded myself to it. Maybe you're all three-headed monsters in this for the money or whatever you're trying to get out of it. I don't think so. There ain't any money in it. But anyway, it's a, it's a thing where I, I really appreciate that. And, I, and I, I want to give you this because I know because you are good people what happens. And I see it all the time in some of you younger Christians. I don't want to say this wrong, but you, I got to say it. So if you got ears, listen to me so you don't hear this wrong. In the ministry of dealing with people, you have to, to some degree, develop a hardness. You have to, some degree, realize that you can't do everything for people. Parents have a tough time with this sometimes, and they do too much for their kids, and their kids wind up all messed up, and then they wonder why. Because you spoiled them rotten, you gave them everything, you did everything for them, so when they hit 19 or 20, they don't know how to function. Now, as a parent, you need to find that balance. But in ministry, you also need to find that balance. 
And now I'm sympathetic to everybody and I feel sorry for people's problems, but I also have to draw the line that some people got into those problems because of the choices they made. Me taking away those bad choices and just giving them a blanket pass doesn't really help them. Sometimes you have to develop that line where you realize that you can't cross that. You love the person, you want to help the person, but they've got to learn. You know, we, we all have histories in our lives, and we all have parts of those histories that we're all not proud of. And I never judge a person by what they've done in the past. Uh, you know, more than that I want somebody to judge me what I've done in the past or you've done in the past. But at the same time, you can't fix your past, but you can take complete charge of your future. And this is where you got to help people and understand that not everybody is going to make it. And the first thing that happens because you're good people is you blame yourself. You think, well, I didn't do something. If I'd have done this, if I'd have done that, if I'd have done this. You know what? Some people are just dead to the gospel. I've never heard an undertaker. I've never heard an undertaker after he buried somebody said, well, I wish I'd have done this to him. He'd have looked better. <laughs> I wish we'd have fixed it this way. He didn't. The guy's dead. And some God's people are just dead to the gospel. We'll find out why. We'll look behind the scenes and we'll see. And uh, with this, these four keys here, you're going to find how it all lays out. Uh, that uh, uh, the gospel received and the gospel fulfilled. And I can tell you this. Whether you're saved or you're lost this morning. Everybody in this room fits into one of these four. And if you're honest enough, you can find yourself. If you're dishonest, you'll probably miss your match yourself up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, let me show you. I read you the parable. Now, let me, I'm not going to waste time reading the other uh, three uh, as it lays itself out because it's the same. What I want to focus on is the answer because he gives three distinct answers, and you're going to see how each one builds on the other. And when you put all these three together, wow, you get a tremendous aspect. Now, notice the process. He tells the parable. He lays the parable out, and then later on in another chapter, he goes through and he, in, he interprets that passage for you, and then gives you all the things you need to know. Let's look at answer number one. We read Matthew chapter uh, 13, verses 1 through 7 or 8 down there. Now, let's look at the first answer. Hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. Now, he's going to explain it to you. And he does this with every parable. This is why pe I never figured out why people don't get it. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This which was received, the seed by the wayside. All right, there's case number one. Number two, verse 20. He that received the seed into stony places. The same as he that heareth the word, and anon, anon means right away, uh, 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 with joy receiveth it. All right, there's number two. 21 goes along with that one. He hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he is by, he is offended. All right, number three, verse 22. He also that receiveth the word among the thorns, there, that one, is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the seed, here comes our fourth one, unto good ground. He is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. All right, that's answer number one. And you notice how he goes right down through here, and you ought to be marking these in your Bible and the little, little, little things down through there. Now, here's answer number two. It'll add more light to it. And he said unto them, Know not ye this parable? 
How then shall you know all parables? Oh, that's a great verse. He just told you that the first parable was the key to all the rest of them. But who catches that? The sower went, uh, the sower soweth the word. There it is. And these are they which by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Yippee, yippee, ki see? And have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time, afterward when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately are offended. And these are they, here comes the next one, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, there it is, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And then these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Now you see how he added more to it? Now when you compare one and two, and you break these things down, you get more of a picture. You get more of an insight. Well, here comes the third one. This will be in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. The second one was in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, if I didn't give it to you. The first one is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, and cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock they, uh, are they which, uh, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, uh, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Here comes the third one. And, he, and, and that which fell among the thorns, there it is, are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to, ah, watch this one, fruit to, fruit to perfection. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But that on the good ground are they that which in, a, which are in an honest and a good heart. Ha <laughs> there's the key. Now that's another key in there. We didn't have that before. Honest and a good heart. Having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit. Ah, fruit with what? Fruit with patience. So we have fruit unto perfection and then we have fruit. To, see, we didn't get that in the other two. Each one adds light and defines better the last one. So you have to get all three accounts together to glean the full impact. Now, this is called in your Bible study, comparing Scripture with Scripture to get the answer. This is how it works. Now, for you potential people who want to work with people, I've broken this down into four case studies. And we're going to approach each one of these as a case study. And I'm going to show you how each one of these works and lay it out for you from the inside looking out. Last week, we stopped from the outside looking in. Now I'm going to take you on the inside, take you behind the scenes, so to speak. All right, now let's look at case study number one. Bible says, a sower went forth to sow. We know now that that's you and me. And these seeds are sown by the wayside. All right, now let's look at the parallel verses here and break it down so we can glean from this. Matthew 13, 19 says, when, uh, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches the way that which was sown in his heart. This is which was received by the wayside. Mark 4, 15 says, these are they by the wayside. Oh, and the word, uh, word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word which is sown in their hearts. Luke 8, verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear and cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, in this case, study here, the Bible says in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, that the devil comes and takes the seed before it has a chance. Now, you're going to deal with people like this. 
And I want to explain what kind of people these are, but you're going to find them. I think it's interesting as a side note to notice Matthew chapter 4, uh, 13, verse 4. It said the fowls come. And yet the other place says the wicked one, verse 19, and then Satan and then the devil. Now that shows you that it's not the devil himself that does it. Because the fowls are the unclean spirits that are all around us that the Bible tells us from various places in the Bible is where the spiritual wickedness is. But it shows you that they do exactly what the devil tells him to do. The devil never comes down and attacks you, but he's given the credit for it because the ones that do, the fowls, the fowls, the the unclean spirits, and I suggest that right there you put in Revelation 18.2, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20, Isaiah 34.10, and Ezekiel chapter 31.6. Those are places in your Bible that tell you and show you that birds in the Bible are likened to demonic spirits. So the fowls come down. It's like you're going out in the wintertime and throwing breadcrumbs out on the deal and all the birds come down. It's like that. It's like going to the lake and there's a bunch of geese and you take a bunch of bread and bug it up and you throw it on the water and all the geese come to it. Think of that. That's exactly what happens with this type of person. They come on Sunday morning. They hear the word of God at 1030 by quarter to 11. It's come down and taken out of their heart. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why this kind of person will not make it. You need to understand this. Now, the key word in this for me is the word wayside. Wayside. The Bible says uh, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Psalms 140, verse 5 says, The proud have hid a snare for me and cords, like a trap. They have spread a net by the wayside for me. You know what the wayside represents in this particular case? Off the beaten track. There are no, there are no tricks and traps of the devil as long as you stay on the right path. We call our church Old Path Baptist Church. Many people don't understand why that is. I always think when you meet somebody and you tell them uh, what the name of your church is, I can almost deduce a moment immediately their spiritual mentality whether they understand what our name is because it's found in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It's a Bible thing. And when you say, uh, sometimes you'll say, what's the name of your church? Old Path Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, Old Path Baptist Church. That's good. In Jeremiah chapter 6. Sometimes they'll say, what? Huh? Old what? Old Patch? At that point, I know they know nothing about the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Now, why do we pick Old Past Baptist Church? Because the Bible says in that passage that you and I are to look for the old path. The old path is the biblical path. When you don't stay on a biblical path, you know where you get? By the wayside. The devil can never get you as long as you stay on the path. It's the side trips you take that get you. And you got to realize that. So this concept here, the wayside, is very important. It's off the main track. It's somebody completely, uh, in any form, has no spiritual uh, aspect of their lives. Bible talks about paths of righteousness. This person by the wayside, this case study number one, it's a man or a woman who is completely off the beaten track, have no real aspect of anything about God in their life. And you're going to meet people like that, especially in the world we live in. I think that concept of the wayside is best explained and maybe understood in the object lesson of the United States of America today. 
The United States of America is just like that, carefree, uh, completely void of any morality, completely void of any truth. Man, we are Isaiah 5, where right has become wrong and our wrong has become right. In our country today, every unsaved man, I heard this on the news several times and I've mentioned to you, they categorize America and where she's at as being in a post-Christian era. And that is absolutely true. You know why that is? It's not because of unsaved people. It's because of God's people. It's because of God's people. And America has entered that area, a complete breakdown of any moral standard. A nation made up of people and people that you're going to deal with completely devoid of any conscience of right or wrong. In fact, the Bible says over there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that there's people who sear their conscience with a hot iron. They absolutely have no moral compass in their life. That's America. And that is a picture of America is a nation that is by the wayside. They're not on the path anymore. They're not even around the path. They're not even a parking lot where you park to walk on the path. They're absolutely, completely gone. And you know what? This is the kind of people that he's talking about here. In dealing with people like this, this will be your third level. This will be, as I broke them down for you in a medical format, this will be heart transplants and brain surgery. This will be satanic strongholds in people's lives. This is where people cannot break the chains of the bondage that they have put themselves in. This is where you'll find severe emotional issues that people go through depression and they're brought in great anxiety and it's all brought about by a life of bad choices that cumulate into a mess that absolutely spells disaster any way you look at it. Think of a hockey game. At a hockey game, you got two opposing teams and they got a little puck. Think of the puck as a gospel puck, the seed. And when you're down there fighting that thing, in your case, you're trying to score. You're trying to get that puck into the net and get some points. Think of it as the gospel. Well, the greatest goalie you ever saw in your life is the devil himself. And he blocks anything from getting in. But he can only block it because people have put themselves in that kind of scenario. You know, a satanic stronghold, uh, satanic stronghold would be uh, a drug abuse or addiction. A drug abuse and addiction come to the place where, you know, and it's a, it's a great trick. Everybody thinks when they start taking drugs, you know, I, I'm going to do it because it makes me cool or I'm going to do it for this. And you kids need to hear this today. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you start with or what you do. It's always going to be a gateway that's going to lead it down the line. You say, well, my doctor doesn't say so. Forget your doctor. It's the devil who's going to make sure that happens. Because it's a spiritual thing. It's not about, well, drugs make me high or drugs ruin my brain cells or drugs do this. It isn't about that. It's that thing that the devil blinds you that drugs will send you to hell because it'll put you in a bondage that you can't get the seed. I've seen it with gambling addictions. I've seen people get so hung up on gambling that they can't do anything else. Every dime they get. It's, it's true of pornography. There's a pornography addiction, alcohol addiction. I'm telling you, get to the place where you, you can't function as a normal human being. And nothing that anybody says can penetrate. Because that's where you put yourself. The devil completely controls every aspect of your life and takes the word out of your heart through the addiction that you have. And that's why I'm telling you, we're all out to be addicts. And you all ought to have an addiction. But the best addiction you ever have is the one found in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, which says they were addicted to the ministry. 
That's a good one. But a satanic stronghold completely controls your mind and your flesh. And it's given over to the devil and his devices. You know, we have the word alcoholic. We use that word a lot. Workaholic, alcoholic. Most people don't even understand the roots of those two words. Alka, alcohol, holic, holy. In other words, alcoholic is someone is holy given to alcohol. And that's how it works. Holy given to alcohol. It takes everything in your life, every brain cell you got, everything that you try to focus on, everything you try to do gets pulled right back to that addiction. You know why? Because the devil takes the seed out. You have created yourself and put yourself in a scenario, case number one, where that seed can't ever get in because the devil just stands there and pulls it away because of where we put ourselves. Now, I'm going to tell you, these are very hard to deal with. And you're going to find a lot of people don't make it. If they do make it, there's only one way they make it. Now, let me say this to you. I've had a lot of people say, well, I made it. Well, my point is this. I'm not talking about you made it and you don't do it anymore. I'm talking about if you made it and you're not serving God and doing what you're doing, you ain't made it. I'm not talking about making it on your terms. I'm talking about making it on the Bible's terms. If you're saved, God saved you for a reason. You received the gospel to fulfill the gospel. And if you get past your addiction and you're not fulfilling it, you ain't gone anywhere. You ain't gone anywhere. You've been blinded again, you see. There's a specific format that has to be fulfilled for somebody that gets in those scenarios and most people just can't do it. I've said it before, you come in here and get the Word of God at 1030, the devil takes it out by quarter to 11 because of what you've got on the inside. So our first case study is seed sown by the wayside. And we see now that this is a person who, who it, it can't get through. The, the stronghold of his life blocks out everything that God tries to do. And you're saying, and I know people say, well, you know what? Why doesn't God override that? God's not going to override those things. It's like a woman, a, a, a girl goes out and she, she gets herself pregnant and then she gets right with God. And she says, God's not going to come down and terminate your pregnancy. You're not going to smoke for 100 years and then get lung cancer and God's going to come down and give you new lungs because you get saved. There's consequences to what we do and the choices that we make. And the more bad choices you make, you build yourself into these scenarios. God will get you out, but he ain't getting you out your way. You got yourself in it your way. And I've told you before, you can only change your direction in life, and you can't change it with the same thinking that got you into that problem. So this is a very tough one, but it can be done. Now, our case study number two. Now, case number study two here. It says, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now, this is Matthew chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, in our, and we read here. And now here we have a perfect example of basically what you're going to deal with with people 99% of the time you deal with them. It's going to be this one right here. But you need to understand how it works. Now the Bible says that there's not much earth, stony places. They grow a little bit, but then the sun comes up and it gets hot and they're gone. Now the key to this is found in verse 6. And the key to this understanding is why this problem is, is because they don't have any roots. 
they get no roots down. It's like a tree. You can plant a tree in your backyard on Arbor Day, you know, and the tree's down there, and for one or two or three or four or five years, you want to move the tree, you can. That tree's there 10 years, you'll never move it. And you as a child of God, every day of your life, got to get your roots down deeper. When the Bible talks about unmovable, when the Bible talks about, Paul talks about, I will not be moved. When the Bible talks about that he's fixed, that he's standing, that he is on the promises. When the Bible talks about Christ being legs like pillars of marble, this is what he's talking about. Your roots are down and you're not going to move off of what happens when the word of God says it. But people don't get there. Now watch how Mark uh, 4 and Luke chapter 8 lay this out. Let's start with Matthew. See, they answered that one in Matthew 13, 20 and 21. But he that receiveth the seed unto stony places, the same as that heareth the word. And a nun, which I told you is right away, with joy receiveth it. Uh, yet hath he now not root in himself, uh, but dureth for a while when tribulation of persecution arises because of the word, and he is offended. And these are they, which Mark 4 says, verse 16, and these are they which likewise were sown on stony ground, who when they have, uh, they have heard and the word immediately receive it with gladness. Everybody's happy. Everybody's getting saved there. Everybody's just tickled to death. And have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution arising for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Luke 8, verse 13. They on the rock. Now the rock's Christ. So this is somebody who actually believed. They, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, they receive the word with joy and have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. See all that? You've got to get all that together. Now, this is one that shows us uh, another type of person that we're going to see all the time. I mean, these are the kind of people. This is why some people come. They get saved. They're absolutely ecstatic for two or three weeks, two or three months, maybe even a year. I've seen some of this go on for two or three years. And they're happy and everything, but they never get any roots down. They never get what they need. I'm going to tell you something. You can only exist so long coming to church, enjoying the music, enjoying the sermons, enjoying all the social things, enjoying the people. At some point, brother, you've got to crack that book and you've got to get your roots down. And if you don't, this is exactly where you head and this is why some people simply will not do it. There's a great pull on all of us when you first get saved. You know what it is? It's the world. And I told you last week, you've got to forsake the world. You've got to let it go. But if you don't replace it with something else, i.e. church, i.e. the Bible, and get what you need, you know what? You'll go right back to the world. You say, well, I'm not going back to those drugs. I'm not going back to this. I'm not going back to that. No, you won't. You'll just stay right where you're at and do nothing. You won't go back to the world, but you won't fulfill the gospel. It's, it's the same thing. God saved you. You received the gospel to fulfill the gospel. That's how it works. All right, let's, now, uh, we've seen it all the time. This, is, this, is, this one shows us, <laughs> you're dealing with it all the time. You come and you get saved, and you're happy about it. Oh, you're thrilled about it. Oh, you're even great. I mean, you're just wonderful about it. Uh, but you get no roots down in the Bible, no foundation in the Bible, no basic principles down. And the Bible says, notice the four key words, tribulation, persecution, affliction, and temptation. Mark 4, uh, 4 17 says, you endure for a while. Sure you do. You come to church, you get involved, you come to this, you come to all the things we do, you play softball and all that, but there's simply no evidence of getting into that book. 
And so when the persecution for the word's sake, Mark chapter 4, verse 17, or tribulation comes in your life, or persecution comes in your life, or affliction comes in your life, or temptation when you get lonely because you don't have a girlfriend, or you get lonely because you don't have a boyfriend, or the old boyfriend calls, or the old girlfriend calls, it's going to go exactly back to what it was because you have no roots. Here it comes. This is why we have discipleship. This is why when you get saved, you need to be discipled. It's the beginning lay down of the root system. This is why I developed the prayer groups. It's an accountability group. It's your root system. This is why we had Bible basics. This is why we do Thursday night Bible study. This is why I let you ask any question you want to ask. This is why we have Sunday morning, and I do what I do the way I do it in my style of teaching. This is why I offer you one-on-one to come over to my home. You think, I just do it because I'm a nice guy and I love people? Well, that all may be true, and it certainly is true, but I want to tell you the truth. Everything I do is for one purpose. That's to get you rooted. Because I know this. If you don't get rooted, you're going to get routed. And it's that simple. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Everybody ought to have this on a three-by-five card when you leave today. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Three aspects in you getting rooted. Rooted in the Word of God leads to you getting built up in the Word of God, leads to you being established in the Word of God. I talked to you before about another aspect. I talked about getting sound doctrine, which leads to a sound mind, which gives you sound words, which produces sound speech, which produces a sound faith. That's rooted. I've seen the process a million times, and there's about 10 or 15 different variations to it. We'll talk about it in the first of the year. person comes and gets saved. They get all fired up. They start discipleship. Get in a prayer group. They'll start meeting with somebody because they got some problems. But you won't do anything with the Word of God yourself. You know, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't bring back. If I, if, if I was a medical technician or a doctor or a nurse or somebody that was an EMT, and you're laying there and you're almost dead. But as long as there's life, there's a good chance to bring you back. But I do not have the ability, nor does anybody else, to bring back dead people. You have to help yourself. You have to make some good choices in your own life. You have to start doing things that are the right things to do. Then we got something to work with. Just because you get in a prayer group don't make you uh, a prayer warrior. Just because you get into a discipleship lesson doesn't mean you're going to get rooted. Uh, because I go out and bought you a set of mechanic tools don't mean you're going to be a mechanic. You got to use and get down what you're getting. People won't do that. Then they come to a point in their life, I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they start out where they wouldn't miss Sunday for anything in the world. Thursday night Bible study is the most important time of their week. You see, then the Bible says they endure for a little while. See it? I see it all the time. Then suddenly Bible study stops. You know, that's always the first to go, and I'm not, I've never figured out why that is. But it's always the first thing to go. Where before nothing kept you, now you got a million excuses why you can't be here. It's always the first to go. It's always the thing that goes first. When I start to see that, brother, I'm saying, hey, case study number two. Then you start missing your prayer groups. 
And, and you know what? And all your, I don't know, I'm not saying you're saying, well, I don't want, no, all your excuses are legitimate. You got kids, you got this, you got a, you got a husband, you got to get up, you got all of those stuff. Hey, leave Boaz in bed if that's what it takes. <laughs> You had to be here last week to fully appreciate that. <laughs> then your discipleship is no longer as important. You know, you know what? You diddled with it a little bit, but now you're not doing, you're not into the Bible. You don't come to Thursday night anymore. You're not writing down anybody thing in the Bible, and it just kind of goes, you know. And then you know what happens? It just follows the process. And then, and then Sunday goes. Then you miss once a month. Then in time, about three or four months, then it's two a month. Then you get here once a month, and then about after six months or eight months or a year or something like that, you're gone out the door. Case study number two. Happens all the time. You know why? Because you're not willing to get rooted. And if you're not willing to get rooted, you ain't going anywhere. Well, you are, but you're not going anywhere here. I mean, this is the most common. You got to get rooted. You got to get built up. You got to get established. You got ears this morning? He that hath ears, let him hear. See how important that is? I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a prophet. Some of you right now, today, have turned your head to that exit sign back there. And you've turned your heart to that door. And oh yeah, you're here this morning and all of those things, but you're a dead as a doornail on the inside. You, you give the minimum, you do the minimum, or you do nothing. And you got right now, as you're standing here in your heart, your heart has turned toward the door, and the exit sign. And in six months or less, you'll be gone if something doesn't change. You know why? Because it's infallible. The book says you'll be gone. The book says that when you don't, in, you, when you don't get rooted and grounded, you can endure. And when the tribulation comes, when the persecution hits you, when the affliction comes or the temptation comes, you're gone. Because the only thing that's going to change your thinking of the way you are and what got you into the mess is to get rooted in that book. And it doesn't happen. So some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. Oh, they were happy when they got saved. But through a process of time and more bad choices, the joy of their salvation leaves. Because the joy of your salvation isn't based on being here on Sunday morning or Thursday night. The joy of your salvation that brings you here on Sunday morning and Thursday night is what God's doing in your life in the Word of God Monday through Friday. Case study number three. Matthew 13, 7. And some fell upon among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Now again... Look at our three answers to this in Matthew 13, 22, Mark chapter 4, verse 18, and Luke chapter 8, verse 14. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he become unfruitful. And Mark 4 says, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Luke 8, and that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, 
and bring no fruit to repent. No, the indication is here that a guy got saved and was actually bringing fruit. That's the indication. But there's one key phrase in here that's found in all three of them. And this will be the problem, and I preached on this last week. The cares of this world. I told you last week, if you don't dump the world in your life when you get saved, if you don't get the people in this world out of your life and you don't make a break and you don't get into the Word of God and get your roots down and change your life, you're, it's going to come back and get you. This is why people don't make it. They will not let the world go. You get out of one bad relationship, you get into another bad relationship with the same kind of bozo you had the last time, and then you walk around wondering why. And then you, don't, you, you lose everything that God has for you. You lose everything that God wanted to do with you. Your life now is so caught up and cluttered with all of the garbage and junk, you can't ever get to the fulfilling of the gospel. And I'll tell you what, three times he says, the cares of this world. Well, he says that twice, and then he says, the pleasures of this life, that's the world. And then he says, the defeatfulness of riches, and it becomes unfruitful. But all he says down through here, and, and, like, and he became unfruitful. It looks like, as I said, there was a time when he bore fruit. You know what? There was a time in some of your lives when you bore fruit for God, wasn't there? Sure there was. And sitting here this morning, I hope God points that out to you. There was a time in your life when you actually did something for God. There was a time in your life when you actually meant something for God. There was a time in your life when you actually stepped out and did something and was faithful in it for God. Where are you today? And the reason why you're going to deal with people, and some of you are in the states you're in, this is a case study. This is going behind the scenes. This shows you exactly why you are where you're at today. No way around it. You see, as dealing with people and me as a minister, these are things we need to know. I call these things the cause and the effect. I preached on this exact same thing last week for you, forsaking the world. I told you, totally obey and utterly destroy. I showed you the examples in Judges and Joshua. Why Israel got in the same problem, never could get out of it. Same thing for you and me. Now look at Luke chapter 8, verse 14, one of the most popular, powerful verses in all the Bible that tells you you can have a fruit, you can do things for God, but if you don't sell out, it doesn't count. He says the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Fruit to perfection. Boy, that's a powerful thing. You see, God's not interested in just you bringing forth fruit. God is you bringing fruit to perfection. And my, my advice to you is to take the next 10 years and, and figure out what that is. The Bible teaches that book from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and salvation affects you in three ways. It affects you in your head. It affects you in your heart. And it better affects you in your feet. In other words, you get it into your mind, you get it into your soul, and you get it into your body, and then you do something with it. The perfecting, the perfecting fruit. And then we come to, finally, case study number four. We've looked at three of them now. And finally, in case study number four, we find some good things here. He says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Finally, finally we get to the person or the people who will not just receive the gospel, but they're going to also fulfill it. Well, let's look at our three companion passages, Matthew 13, 23. But he that receive his seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word ah, and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth 
some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Mark 4 says, And these are they which are sown on the good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Luke chapter 8, verse 15 says, But that on good ground, as they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit. You know, he just summed up the, what all our problem is right now this morning. The bottom line, every one of these, on honest and a good heart. You see, you've got to get honest with yourself first, and then you've got to get your heart right. If you don't get honest with yourself and get your heart right, it's the key to the whole thing. And that's exactly where God's people are at today. That's exactly the f foolishness that goes on. This is why people have bad marriage after bad marriage after bad marriage. And they say, well, I've been to church. I go to church. You know what? It isn't about going to church. It's what's going on in your rotten heart right now. It's what's going on in your life of not getting rooted in the Word of God and not fulfilling it. Amen. That's the key. That's the key. And boy, I'll tell you what. That's a powerful thing. I want you to know the good ground. The good ground is man's heart, remember? This person prepared his heart. This person got grounded in the Word of God. This person got rooted in the Word of God. This person got rooted in the Lord and His Word, and this person brings forth fruit, and it's fruit to perfection. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 is really a key on that perfection deal where it talks about, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and then He says what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect, truly furnished to all good work. You see, that's where the perfect fruit starts, the perfecting of your heart, the taking the Word of God into your heart, letting it fall on the ground of your heart and receiving it with an honest and open and good heart. That's the key. Now, this last case study shows us the, probably one of the greatest studies in the New Testament teaching on the three types of Christians. This Bible lays us out and breaks it down to such an degree that it's unbelievable. I've shown you four case studies now of why people do what they do in rejecting and not ever going and why they quit coming. And everybody in here, everybody that used to sit in this seat that's no longer here, Everybody, some of you sitting today that won't be back next week or you're on your way out, the exit sign is already on your forehead because of the factors. You simply got to do what the Bible says. It'll be one of these right here. Sometimes a combination of them, but it's right there. It's right there. And this last case study shows you the tremendous impact of three types of Christians. But before I, I give you those, let me put this whole thing into perspective for you. As you come through these four case studies, you'll find that they match up uh, characters in the New Testament. We had the first here was the guy who was careless. And that would match up to Herod and Pilate in your story in the New Testament because that's how they approach it. Both demon-possessed, both part of a false uh, uh, system, and they just blow it off. So our first here in the story here that he's making a reference to would be probably Herod and Pilate. Our second guy here uh, would match up to Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through uh, 924. 9 through 24. Our third here would match up to Demas. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, who loved the pleasures of this world. 
But the fourth one, the one we're looking at right now, represents three classes of Christian fruit bearing. And here's where if you're saved this morning and you're actually involved in ministry and you put yourself in this fourth category, this is where you're at. You know, one of the greatest amazing studies in the Bible is the study of the 12 apostles. I know that they're Old Testament and I know that they deal with the nation of Israel and the gospel they preach. There's no relevance to the gospel that I preach. But in studying them, you find the three types of Christians. He said some bore fruit 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Now you take those 12 apostles. They were common, ordinary people just like you and me. They were called with a calling just like you and I are. And yet you find within that 12 that not everybody had the same relationship with God, nor did everybody seem to have the same impact of ministry. Within the 12, you had three who stand out above the rest. That leaves nine over here that, uh, uh, that, that are different. Out of the 12 originally, you had one was a phony. That tells me that not every group of Christians you get, even today, not every group of Christian you get. Why, the Lord had 12 men, and one of them was a phony. He was never saved. His name was Judas. And that tells me that in looking at the body of Christianity, not everybody that says they're saved is. I'm not here to judge who you are or you aren't, but I'm just telling you, that's what the book says. The Lord picked 12, and one of them was a phony. Those 12 represent what New Testament Christianity Christians and their fruit bearing should be. One of them was a phony. I don't believe for a moment, though I would like to believe it, that everybody here this morning that says they're a Christian is a Christian. I'm not looking down in your world and saying you are or you're not. I'm just telling you what the book says. So out of the 11 that are left, you have three. You know who they are, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John do more, see more, or part of more than the, other, than the other 12. I mean, at the raising of Jairus' daughter, it wasn't all the 12. It was Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration when he stepped beyond the cross and was glorified. It wasn't all the 12. It was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John see things and experience things in a greater way than the rest of the 12. And that's just true of Christians. There's some of you in here that are plugged into ministry that you experience more. God does more with you than he does with other people in his church. You know why? Because you, you put in more. And Peter, James, and John are three great character studies in the Bible. And after you get past, after you get past or you get into the book of Acts, you only hear about Peter and John. James gets killed, but, you, but you, you see how that thing weighs itself out. Peter, James, and John were the inner three. So you have the 12, there's the 30%. Then you have the three, there's the 60%. Then you had one who went all the way, and his name was John. When all the other 12 are scattered when Christ is being crucified, you know where John is? He's at the feet of Jesus. He's down there at the feet. Do you ever notice that John, or when Christ on the cross looked down and saw John, that he gave John to watch care of his mother? There's a reason for that. You realize it's John who writes the greatest book in the Bible that lays out the deity of Christ, Christ's first coming, and then writes the greatest book in the Bible on Christ's second coming? You realize it's the same John? You realize that John in the Bible is the only one that Jesus says he loved? I mean, Jesus loved them all, and Jesus loves all of you. But John is the only man in the Bible that Jesus verbally says he loved. Somebody said, you think that John had a special, Jesus had a special love for John? Certainly he did. You know why? And God's got a special love for you over maybe the person sitting next to you. You know why? Because you got a special love for him. God loves all of you. But let's be honest, some of you couldn't care less about him this morning. 
Some of you lived your whole life this week and never even talked to him. Some of you lived your whole life this week and never even gotten a book. And you're going to sit here and say, well, he loves you more than me. You betcha he does. You betcha he does. You say, well, I don't like, I like that. He doesn't like the fact that you don't care about him. He doesn't like the fact that you'll sit down at lunch today and you won't even thank him for what he's given you. But I guarantee you, you start choking on your food and there's no paramedic around and you're about ready to die, the first thing out of your mouth will be, oh, well, it won't be very clear, but it'll be, it'll be, oh, God. <laughs> there's your egg on the shoots in somebody's face across the table. So you got the 12 apostles. There's the 30. In that, you have Peter, James, and John. There's the 60. Then you have John. John goes the distance. It's John who does something that no other man can do and no other man in the Bible has done. And there's been some great men in the Bible. But at the Last Supper, John leans over and lays his head on the breast of Jesus. And you know what? If you understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was, you know he was the incarnate Son of God. And John leans over and he puts his head on the breast of Jesus and he, very, he hears the heartbeat of God. You know what you ought to be? You know what separates you from the hundredfold, from the thirty and the sixty? It's that same thing. Most of you here this morning, and I love you to death, but you'll go through your whole life and you'll never hear the heartbeat of God. When you hear the heartbeat of God, your life is changed. When you hear the heartbeat of God, your life is never going to be the same again. When you hear the heartbeat of God, this old world passes away and everything with it. And nothing on this planet will ever run competition with that book again because you did what nobody else has been able to do. You laid your head on the breast of Jesus through that book and you heard God's very heartbeat. And I could tell you right now tonight what book in that Bible is God's heartbeat. What good would it do? What good would it do? What good would it do? But in the fourth one, we find three classes of Christians, fruit bearers. The 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold. Now, I know how human nature goes, and I know how it is right now. Some of you sad sack Christians that you ain't worth powder blowing your hell. You're sitting there and saying, I'll be dissatisfied to be a 30. I know what you're saying. I've said it myself. I've had people tell me after I preached the grudge machine of Christ about being naked. They actually had the audacity to ask me. I'm the wrong person to ask. What do I got to do just to get a pair of underwear? <laughs> And actually say, well, as long as I have a little bit of clothing, I'll be satisfied. You're a fool. You're an absolute idiot. In the Boaz scheme of things, I don't even have a name for you I can say publicly. <laughs> You're crazy. And some of you are sitting there, well, I'll be satisfied just to be a 60. Really? Look in my eyes. Look in my face. After what he did for you, after what the price that he paid, after what he did for you and for me, you are willing to be satisfied with being a 30 or a 60? Come on. Are you really willing in your mind? Or have you lost your mind? You think that's going to play out at the judgment seat of Christ when you actually see what he did for you and the price that was paid? You think that that's going to cut it? You're a fool. An abs and I love you, but you're a fool. But I know some of you are thinking that way. Because I used to think that way. You know, in the Bible, 
The palm tree is always likened to Christians. Psalms 1 says, you and I should be like a tree planted by the river of waters. Trees in the Bible are like people. One time Jesus healed a guy that was blind and Jesus said, what do you see? And he said, I see men walking around like trees. Trees have families, so you study your family tree. Trees have limbs. The cells in a tree change every seven years. The cells in your body completely change every seven years. You can cut a tree in half and you can tell how old it is by the layers. You cut you in half and you just bleed a lot. You can't really do that one. <laughs> Might be something to it, though. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You know, in the Middle East, there's a particular type of palm tree. Very scarce. It used to be very plentiful. In the time of Jesus, they were everywhere. Time of David, they were everywhere. And I, you know, when the psalmist wrote that in Psalm 92, and how it all ties together, the, 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 the real name for it, if I can do this right, is, is the Latin name for it is uh, Phonix Dacti uh, Lifera. That's the name of the palm tree in the classical. The Koine is called a date palm. Not because when you took a girl on a date, you took her under this particular tree. It, the fruit were dates. Just want to clear that up because I saw some of your eyes light up looking for that tree. <laughs> and it doesn't simply mean if you find one and get under it, that you'll have a date that night too. I want you to know that. But it's simply called a date palm. And you know, I've told you many, many times how that everything in the Bible is an incredible picture. And it's incredible, the characteristics between these palm trees and, and Christians and you and me, because the Bible says that the righteous, that's you and me, we ought to flourish like a palm tree. You ought to bear fruit. And I remember years, and this has probably been 30-some years ago, I was coming through Matthew and, and saw this, and I did a little study on the 30 and the 60 and the 100, even put a message together on it, and I, I saw those three types of Christians, and then I ran into this. But these trees are very rare today in the Middle East. Much like soul-winning Bible-believing Christians. There was a time when they were very plentiful. And it was a time in the Philadelphian church age when Bible-believing Christians were very plentiful. But now the palm trees are very rare and very scarce to find. And so are God's people who really understand the Bible. It's said that the tree had over 360 uses. The incredible thing about this tree is the fact that you could take it and you can make just about everything you needed. You can make rope from it. You can use the lumber for shelter. It was good for food. Uh, there was 360 things, and I got them listed someplace of all the things that they could do uh, with this tree. The amazing thing about it, I thought, is this tree exists in the desert, the wilderness where there's no water, visible water. And the reason for that is that its roots go down sometimes to 100 and 200 feet. And it finds the hidden water that's underneath the rocks that's deep in the desert. And so it can survive the hottest desert. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what that gets you and me through. Rooted in the Word of God that your roots go down so deep that you can survive any desert, any holocaust, anything that comes in your life simply because your roots are down so deep that you're never without the water of the Word of God. Incredible. Incredible. I read that when it produces dates, the fruit, 
that the best dates, and it really doesn't produce good eating fruit in that tree till that tree is at least 30 years in the ground. Yet I find in the Bible that the real worth of a man all the way through the Bible starts when he's 30. Jesus started his public ministry when he was 30, crucified when he was 33. I look at everything that you young men doing now will come to fruition in a real way, and you probably won't see it. I'll see it when you hit that age 30. If you're doing what's right, it'll all kind of go together. That's just a standard principle in the Bible. But just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, these trees grow in three lengths. There's one species that grows to 30 feet. There's another species that grows to 60 feet. And there's a final species that grows to 100 feet. He hath ears to hear, let him hear. You see, the palm tree is a great example because it shows you the three levels of Christians. But I want to say this to you. 30 feet, 60 feet, and 100 feet. It doesn't do us any good to grow tall if you don't grow straight. That's the key. It doesn't matter how tall you are if you're not straight in your growth. And today we get an invaluable piece of the puzzle. We learn more principles. If you don't just you don't just get them, you have to learn how to apply them and make them work for you. And you know, in the process of this, it, there'll be two groups of people come out of here. There'll be people who will grab it and see it and do something with it, and maybe God will take you and put you into that. And there'll be some that you're already set in where you're at. There's some of you that when I started this morning, your eyes were closed so fast that you thought you, you know, I was boring you to death. And that stuff just went in and bounced right off you like BBs off a brick wall. There's some of you that you'll go out of here and you'll get excited about it and you'll just do everything that you think you're supposed to do and six months from now or three months from now, it'll be all gone for you. And there'll be some of you here today that because you've got a good and honest heart that you'll prepare that heart and God will do something with it. But no matter what, this is what you've got to learn. This is the inside looking out of why things are the way they are. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. You've heard a good message that I guarantee you everybody in this room knows where you're at today. Everybody in this room on self-examination through the Holy Spirit of God tapped you on the shoulder and let you know exactly where you're at. The gospel received. Will you receive the gospel today? It isn't about being baptized. It isn't about joining the church. It isn't about any of those things. It's simply about will you receive the gospel today, the good news, and then will you do something with it in your life? Now, every head bowed and every eye closed and no one's looking around, and I'm just going to ask you very quickly, and then I'm going to, I'm going to move on here and we'll be done this morning. And you want to remember that, uh, you know, that uh, Sandy wants to meet with her ladies down here, so you'll do that in just a minute. But let me just ask you, have you received the gospel today? Now, before you answer yes, let me define that for you. Do you know today, right now, Right now, if you died today, that you'd go to heaven. Now, I know we got today's Kids Sunday, and we got all the little kids in here. And, and kids, if, if you struggle with that, you need to take that to your mom and your dad. 
And if your mom and dad need help, then bring them to me and I'll help you with that. But I'm not talking to you this morning. I am, but I'm not. If you have struggles with that, that needs to be with you and your mom and dad. And I'll help you how I can. But I'm talking to the adults here now. Do you know today if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? That's the gospel received. It isn't about, yeah, I've been to church all my life, or it's about, yeah, I got a Bible, or yeah, I read my Bible. That's not it. If you have all those things and you still don't know if you die right now and drop over in that chair that you go to heaven, then you don't have anything. My question I'm asking you is this. Do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? And if you don't, would you let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I'm, everybody's head's bowed. I'm the only one looking around. But I want to pray in just a moment. After a message like this, and I know the Holy Spirit of God had to be cranking on you today. It was cranking on me. Would you be honest enough? Would you have that honest and good heart today to raise that hand and say, Bob, pray for me? Anybody? Bob, pray for me. I'm not sure I'll go die right now. I'll go to heaven. Thank you in the back. Thank you, son. Thank you, sir. I see it. You may put it back down. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? This is the time to make sure. Anybody else? Let me see it. Put up real high. Anybody else? God bless you. I see it back there. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? Anybody else? Two young men raised their hands, and one little child who mom and dad will work with that one. But anybody else? We're going to wait just a moment. I'm not sure. We need to make sure. And I'm not talking about just making sure so you can get out of the problem that you're in right now. I'm talking about making sure so you can change your life. I'm talking about that you, 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 you make that decision and change that decision, and then your whole life turns around from there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Two men before I pray. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And I, I thank you for your word today. And Lord, I love you so much. And I love these people. And Lord, I, I, I'm so excited about, uh, and I don't even know who it's going to be yet. I've purposely not asked. I've stayed away. I, I, I just want, I, I want you to surprise me come the end of this year. I want you to surprise me with the men and women who are doing the work. I'm not asking anybody who is or who isn't. Some people are coming to me and I'm helping them. But Lord, I, I have no, no agenda. I have no list that I want. I just want you to bring me because I know that you'll bring me exactly who I need to have. And I'm just excited about that. But Lord, I pray for the two men that raised their hand today and for the little guy. The mom and dad will be in tune to that. Or if I need to help with that, I'd be glad to. But for the two men that raised their hand, Lord, don't let them walk out of here without Christ. I know they both come from different lifestyles and they both have a different set of problems, but the answer is the same, and that answer is Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we pray today that you'll touch their hearts, that, that they'll know that they need to do what needs to be done. And Lord, that we'll give you the honor and the glory today. And we love you, Father. And we pray all these things in your holy name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Okay, guys, as simply as this. I got some guys in the back and some guys up here that will take you into one of my offices and open up the Word of God and show you how to be saved, show you how to receive the gospel. But it's a life-changing event. It's something that you're going to, in your heart, you're going to repent, you're going to turn from the world, and you're going to give your life to God. That means the old friends go, the old things go, and everything becomes new. That has to be your choice. But it's the best choice you'll ever make. Now, here's the deal. Every head bowed and eye closed, we've already prayed. If you're honest today and you have an honest and good heart and you want to know for sure, here's what I want you to do. Just stand up wherever you're at. I'll come and get you and send you in my back. If you're in the back, son, just stand up, and I'll have the guy sitting next to you take it there and show you if you want to do that. You want to stand up? Want to do it? Want to know for sure? Today's the day. How about it, pal? You want to do it? Want to know for sure up front? Today's the day. Just stand up where you're at. Let us take the open Bible, and you can know for sure you're saved. Anybody? Anybody at all? This is where it comes down to. This is what we've talked about. This is the gospel received. Will you do it? 
Anybody? I'm just going to wait for a moment. Will you do it? Good. God bless you. God bless you. Woody? Woody? Take him right there. Barb? McCurr? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? We're going to wait. We're going to wait for you. We're going to wait for you. I'm not sure. Make sure today. Make sure today. One more time across over here to my right. Anybody? Right center. Anybody? Coming across the middle. Over to my left. Anybody? I want to know for sure. If you raise your hand, now's your time. While we're praying for you. While we're praying for you. How, Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And thank you for these that stepped out this morning to trust Christ. And I pray, Father, that as they're opening up the scriptures right now, that you'll give them the wisdom, the word, and everything that they need. Thank you for the young man that came out to play ball and, and Lord, uh, wanted to today know more about Christ and, and be saved. And I thank you for that. And I pray his life will be changed and he'll, he'll turn it around. Pray for the dear lady that stood up, Lord, that uh, with all the things that she's going through, that you'll make it sure in her life and give her what she needs. And Lord, uh, Help us to always to love people and to bring them to the Word of God and help me to always help them no matter where they're at. Thank you for today for this great example of, of four case studies. And Lord, it's not about just receiving the gospel. Help us to fulfill the gospel in all that we do. And Lord, we'll be thankful and pray and give it all to you in the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you this morning. Help yourself to the bookstore back there. Take my buddy back there, please, and make sure he gets what he wants. Uh, and all the ladies.